Welcome to the Growth Equation Academy. Last week, we talked about the growth equation itself, stress plus rest equals growth. This week, we're going to take a deep dive into that first component, stress. All right. So if you listen last week, you'll know that when we talk about stress, we're not talking about the kind of stress that might occur if you're in a spat with your significant other or you're really anxious before a public speaking event or a performance review at work. When we talk about stress, we use it in a much more scientific way, which is to say that stress is some sort of stimulus that challenges the mind or body. Another way to think about stress is you're at homeostasis. What you expect is happening, you're at baseline, and then you create something that happens. And that can happen to you or you can go seek it. But whatever it is, it takes you out of baseline. It gives you something to adapt to. So as we described last week, in the case of a muscle, the stress is picking up a heavy weight, perhaps a weight that's a little bit heavier than what the muscle is accustomed to lifting. That creates stress. It creates something to adapt to. Well, what you're probably thinking is, okay, that's super easy in the weight room. Perhaps you're even thinking that's easy in any sport. If you go from running a four-minute mile, then the next step might be a 355 mile. Or if you're more like me, from an eight-minute mile to a 730 mile. In the gym, you can go from a 25-pound weight to a 30-pound weight. If the step up that you make is too light, it will still feel easy. If it's too heavy, you'll know and you can go back down. The harder question is, how do you think about the right dose or the right amount of stress in non-athletic pursuits when it's not so objective? In there, we've developed three heuristics. The first is what we like to call a just manageable challenge. There's just something about that phrase that seems to resonate with people. It's a challenge that is ever so slightly outside of your current skills and abilities. The second, very much related, is to think of the right level of stress as a 7 out of 10, where 0 out of 10 is coasting and going through the motions, and 10 out of 10 is being too anxious to fall asleep. You want to shoot for a 7. Something that you'll succeed at most times, but there's enough a chance of failure that you really have to pay attention, give it your all, and work hard. And then finally, my favorite way to think about the right dose of stress is perhaps the simplest. It's to step back and say, where am I today in this given pursuit? Where do I want to get tomorrow? And what's the next logical step? What's really interesting is Steve can take all of his runners and use the most scientific training and pace calculators and biometric data to design their workouts in the right amount of stress. Or he could say, hey, Brian, you're running X. I know you want to get to Z. What's Y? What's the next logical step? And Brian can probably tell Steve every bit as accurately as all those performance devices. And if we really spend time to reflect on any area of our life, whether it's growing in a relationship whether it's growing as a leader of a company, as a manager, as a writer, as a musician, we generally have a really good sense of what the right amount of stress is to grow in that area. The problem is we tend not to do that kind of deep reflection very often. Yes, we all have the answer, you know, and whenever I'm reminded of this just manageable challenge, I think back to Gosh, one of the founding fathers of distance running training, one of the best coaches in history, Arthur Lydiard, put it up pretty succinctly where he said, how hard should a workout be? You should go hard enough, but be able to do another rep if I told you you could, right? So there's always something left in the tank, and that sits in that just manageable challenge 
that seven out of 10. And the key here is that we need the stress to, in the last episode, I said, embarrass the, the body, embarrass the mind, right? And that embarrass means that is the stimulus to adapt. So in order to adapt at anything, whether it's athletic, academic, intellectual, we have to struggle for just a little bit, right? It has to make us struggle. And there's some good, you know, biological reasons for that. Again, that struggle makes it where we have to pay full attention to it. When we pay full attention to it, we have this nice neurochemical release of a little bit of adrenaline, a little bit of some other chemicals, which signal the body, hey, this is really important. We should pay attention and we should we should figure out why, you know, we might need to get better at this individual thing. So that that struggle, that seven out of ten is important. If we go too far, if we go too to the well too often, it becomes what I'd call unproductive stress, right? The stimulus is so much that we sit back and we say, our body says, hey, what's the point? I'm not going to be able to handle that. I can't handle that. It's this kind of homeostatic balance that really does does the trick. And I love that you use the word embarrassment, um, which is not a scientific word, <laughs> at least not as far as I know. But it paints such a vivid picture in my mind. So if you are going to be public speaking or managing a team for the first time or trying to solve a math proof or playing a piano recital, and you are so freaking embarrassed that you fall off the stage, you completely forget who's reporting to you, you miss the one-on-one, you blow the recital, what's going to happen? You're not going to want to come back. You're going to be like, nope, I'm not public speaking again. Nope, maybe managing a team isn't for me. Yeesh, I'm done playing piano. If you go to that recital and you play the most simple scale, or you go from managing two people to three people, and it feels like you could do it all day, that's not a challenge. You're not going to grow from that either. So it's got to be that, again, that just manageable challenge or the right amount of embarrassment doesn't mean playing a wrong note. No, the embarrassment might even mean blushing because you're a little bit nervous. That is the level of quote unquote productive stress that you want to seek out in any of these challenges. You probably don't want to go from having an orchid to four dogs at the same time. Like learn how to take care of the orchid first. Although orchid's probably the wrong example. Those are pretty thorny plants. I currently have three pets that I keep alive and I've never kept an orchid alive. But you get the point. You want to try to really progress the level of stress um, in whatever area of your life you're, you're working towards growth on. And you know, this finding this sweet spot, the seven out of 10 doesn't just apply to, you know, the creative pursuits or, you know, athletic pursuits. It's how our body functions, right? If we want to enter this mythical flow state, which um, Mahali Check sent me high, is the researcher behind it. If we want to enter that flow state, we have to have this, this narrow band where the challenge and our ability to meet it is in there in that kind of seven out of 10. If the challenge is too much, right, we're not going to enter that flow state. If it's not challenging enough, which you just gave that example in that talk and giving a speech, we're not going to enter the flow state either. So it's got to find that seven out of 10. And the same applies when we're looking at not even flow, but just performance in general, right? A moderate amount of adrenaline 
helps us perform. Too much puts us in a state where we're anxious, you know, anxiety-filled, shaking, forget what we're supposed to say, too little, and we're not primed to perform to our best. So it's really finding this sweet spot where you say, okay, what's my just manageable challenge? Where's my 7 out of 10? That's where the difficulty needs to be regardless of the activity we're pursuing. So if you just heard Steve pronounce Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi correctly, and you're the kind of person that said, that's how you pronounce his name, the guy behind Flow, I always thought it was Csikszentmihalyi, whatever it is, then you're probably the kind of person that would love being a member of our exclusive Growth Equation community. So we'll get right back to the show. But first, Steve's going to tell you a bit about the community. We are 100% independent at the Growth Equation Podcast. Why? Simple. Because we loathe so many of the ads that we always hear on podcasts and selling various hacks and other cockamamie stuff that rarely works. That's not what we're about here. In order to support this work, we offer a Patreon membership program. For the cost of a cup of coffee, you can support the show and get all kinds of neat stuff, such as exclusive podcasts, signed copies of our books, participation in a live book club, and a live quarterly mastermind group. To learn more and sign up, go to www.patreon.com slash thegrowthequation. All right, so let's talk about what actually happens in the moment when you are quote-unquote stressing yourself. So you found that 7 out of 10, the quote-unquote flow zone, the right amount of stress. Well, how do you create a situation where you're going to get the most out of that challenge? And in the modern world, the first thing that we go to is removing distractions, So the thing that Steve always says, and I'm going to steal it from you right now, is that you would never tell a runner in the middle of running a hard workout to check their Twitter 13 times, to respond to two emails, um, and to check their calendar for what they have to do the next day, all while they're trying to run a workout. You never do it because the workout wouldn't be beneficial. You'd be stopping. You wouldn't get the adaptation. Well, the same holds true in non-physical pursuits. So if you are going to stress yourself creatively, intellectually, in a relationship with other people, you really have to minimize distractions and focus on the task at hand. That could be deep conversation. That could be writing. It could be playing a song. It could be solving a math problem. It could be building a financial model. A study that we covered extensively in our first book, Peak Performance, shows that if two people are having a conversation and there's a notebook on the table versus a face-down phone, the quality of the conversation is completely different. In the notebook conversation, the people report feeling really good and they have great recall of what they discussed. In the condition where there's a face-down phone on the table, they report not feeling as well, they struggle to recall what they discussed. The fascinating thing is, even if the phone didn't belong to either of the participants in the conversation, it still completely took them away from the conversation. So imagine that. A researcher's phone that has no connection to either of the people talking totally messes up their ability to be present in the conversation. Well, why is that? Researchers speculate because 
the mere sight of a phone or any digital device has come to stand for everything else that can be happening in the world. Worrying that you're going to be late to pick up your kids, figuring out how many people email and how far your people emailed you and how far you're falling behind, concern about whether or not your Facebook post got comments. So the mere sight of a device, even if there's no way we can use it because it's not ours, distracts us from what we're doing. So a very important precondition to productive stress is being as fully present as possible. And out of sight means out of mind for digital devices. It's not enough just to try to minimize the screen or keep the phone on the table. You really want to create conditions where you can devote as much of your attention to what's in front of you as possible. The way I like to look at it is attention is your signal to your brain that something is important. So if you are devoting your attention fully to the task at hand, your brain eventually gets on board, right? If you're devoting your attention and it's switching to something else and it's going over to your phone, then your brain and body and mind get the signal that, ah, you know what? This thing that we're actually working on isn't that important. Let's go look for something else. And your brain actually scans the environment. Um, I think it's something like, gosh, 20 to 30 times uh, just during the, that sentence that I said right there, looking for something better to pay attention to because it's a you know threat-detecting machine. So you're sitting there, it's looking for other things to do. So if you can focus on what you, you're doing right at, in front of you, that's going to allow you to perform. The other part of it is it's not just deep-focused work with no distractions. It's how long are you doing this for, right? We can't have deep-focused work for hours on end. I'm not going to go tell someone to go run flat out for, you know, for as long as you can hold it and hope they hold it for several hours. That would not work. But we routinely tell people, hey, just go work for, you know, four hours straight, then take a brief lunch break and then go do it again or whatever have you. That doesn't work. Research shows that our attention span can focus on things for about about 30 to 90 minute blocks before we need some sort of recovery. So when you're saying, okay, I'm going to do this deliberate focus practice, don't just say, I'm going to do this deliberate focus practice for my entire workday of eight hours. Break it up into manageable blocks. Yeah. And, you know, and next week we're going to talk about rest and how taking breaks in between those manageable blocks makes a lot of sense. So we'll save that for then. But for now, I think it's really important to say that the research shows very clearly that regardless of what activity you are doing, whether it is swimming, running, biking, doing math, the example that we've been using, working on a financial model, you name it, you've got anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours to give before the mind-body system starts to peter out. Now, there are different theories on why. The one that's most widely accepted, and the low-carb folks aren't going to like this, is that your body gets energy from glycogen, which low-carb folks, I make that joke because glycogen comes from carbohydrates. In any event, when you run low on glycogen, not only does your physical muscle start to suffer, but so too does your brain. So one theory is simply, if you're working really hard, you're burning energy, whether it's with your legs or your brain, you've got no more than two hours before the tank empties out. 
Other examples have to do with just our cognitive capacity to pay attention. It's kind of like the upper limit of running right now we think is about a two-hour marathon. Well, the upper limit of paying deep attention is around two hours. Now, how might we be wrong? Well, easily. You've probably had that experience where you've been totally locked into whatever you're doing, completely in the zone, and it feels like you can just go forever. I've certainly had that with writing. There are days when I write and it just feels like I'm on fire. During those instances, the last thing that you want to do is stop. You want to ride those waves. Now, those days generally only happen a couple times a year. So there's no perfect theory for why two hours tends to be the upper limit, but most research coalesces around that number, with the caveat being that if you really are truly in the zone, you want to go hard, that's totally fine. Just make sure that you balance that effort with enough rest and recovery on the other side. The final aspect that we haven't covered yet when we're talking about stress is how we approach it. Our mindset to what we see as stressful as what we see as deep work also impacts not only our, our psychology, but our biology. And the best way we can look at this is do we see the activity that we are about to pursue, do we see it as a threat or a challenge? When it's a threat, we have all sorts of negative stress hormones that shoot up in our body and get us prepared to essentially run away or defend ourselves. And that's not a great place to perform. When we see things as a challenge, right? What happens is instead of stress hormones like cortisol, we get positive stress hormones like testosterone or a similar one called DHEA, which increase and put us in a better place to take on whatever we're taking on and also put us in a better place to transition to recovery when we're done from that, that stress. So when we're looking at stress, whether it's writing a book, whether it's taking on a marathon, whether it's saying, hey, I've got to get ready for this you know, big presentation, if we can see it as a challenge, it puts us in a better place to not only perform, but it also puts us in a better place where we're going to be able to do that deep focus work for that up to two hours so that we can get the most out of our um, time. All right, so we've covered a lot in a little bit of time, so let's step back and summarize here. We're talking about where stress fits in to the broader growth equation, stress plus rest equals growth. Stress, it's not the kind of thing that you're freaking out before a performance review. It's some sort of stimulus that challenges the mind or body. You don't want chronic stress. That leads to burnout. You want just enough. We talked about just manageable challenges, a 7 out of 10, and asking yourself, what's the next logical step? That's how you decide the right dose of stress for an area of your life in which you're trying to grow. We also talked about how this is true not only for individuals, but also for teams, relationships, and even entire organizations. Once you've decided on the right amount of stress, it's important to create the conditions to get the benefit, and particularly eliminating distractions, not going hard too often, too soon. That's basically it in a nutshell. Next week, we'll be back to cover rest, the second half of the growth equation. Because remember, too much stress with not enough rest, you get injury, illness, and burnout, certainly things that we don't want. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation Podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. 
And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.